Well, it's going to be a fun episode today. We're going to be optimistic. Hey there, welcome to Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, your president and wealth advisor of True Wealth Design, serving you in multiple areas, Northeast Ohio, Southwest Florida, and the greater Pittsburgh area. But you can also find them online and uh, chat from anywhere by going to truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, I hope your week is going well. What's going on? Uh, week is uh, going well, and we're not just going to be optimistic. Well, we're going to be rationally, rationally optimistic. A rational optimism. Okay. Yes, not right. blind, but okay. rationally okay. optimistic. Good. And uh, I'm a little short on sleep. I, uh, I <laughs> my wife told me yesterday at the dinner table, don't feed the dogs. And uh, I fed the dogs, and uh, one of them ended up getting sick in the middle of the night in my bedroom. Oh, no. And um, so – uh, we'll see here how I do, but I Wait, think how, I how did have, she know not to feed the dogs? Was this just like my wife? Just is she's smarter than me? She, she just knew. She was just like, don't do it. I have a feeling. Well, no, I mean we generally don't feed them food table, and uh, I broke that rule. Oh, and, oh we were t- we're talking table scrap feeding. I got tables. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. So, um, so score one for the wife, and um, <laughs> and a negative one for daddy. But um, I'm a little, uh, I don't want to say incoherent. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this makes sense. And um, rest assured, I have the best co-host in the business, so I'm sure you'll carry me if need be. But Well, well um, a lack of sleep could lead to that blind optimism, I would imagine. So that, that will be your challenge today, making sure that you stay rational with that lack of sleep going on. All right. Well, here's the thing. So, I mean, just tons of bad news out there. You know, I think everybody knows at this point, the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, bad news tends to sell more, you know, uh, headlines, more papers, get more clicks, so on and so forth, right? So that's nothing new. I mean, we got uh, Russia invading Ukraine and still have that going on. You have inflation for the first time in, in to a material effect in many, many decades, which, you know, certainly is is harming some people, particularly those that are kind of lower socioeconomic status. Um, but then you also have some stories that are maybe a little positive and contrary to all this about, hey, you know, things aren't so bad. You know, we're going to have a soft landing as we work through this. Well, I'm kind of getting bombarded with all that. But um, I went last week to my daughter's, my four-year-old Cameron's ballet class. And I haven't been able to go to this. She's been going for a few months now. And it's generally been kind of middle of the day. But now that they're back in school, the class was moved to the evening. So this was really the first opportunity that I had to go. And you want to talk about optimism, just going to that class and seeing these cute little girls that are like four or five years old in their little tutus dancing around. I was <laughs> I was the only dad there, so I'm giving myself a little pat on the back, but I was beaming. It was it was awesome. Um, the girls were so cute, so happy. And my four-year-old, she's like, I don't, I'm completely biased here, but she's absolutely adorable and beautiful. And you know, she's in her little tutu, and she's she's kind of like a girly girl, but she's like two thirds that with like one third slapstick Chris Farley humor. And if you oh, wow. remember the Saturday Night Live skit when Chris Farley's you know in a tutu and Patrick Swayze's on stage, I think I mean it's it was kind of like all that rolled into one. So it was beautiful. It was laughter. It was awesome. I was just I came out beaming. So. I was thinking about that, thinking about all this bad news that's out there. And then when I was driving in today, um, one of my favorite songs is from R.E.M., big band, particularly in the 90s. And uh, it's it's the end of the world as we know it. And I'm like, man, um, but it's such a happy song with with that title. And then, you know, kind of it, the joinder to it is, and I feel fine. So I'm like, hmm, 
let's see if we can turn this into a podcast episode. So that's the setup today, Walt. We'll see how it goes, but that's where we're going. It's it's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine. Financial version. I like it. I like it. So, all right. So here's what I mean. Obviously, the bad news that's out there, but um, to put a little bit of kind of facts behind it, you've probably heard of the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Survey. I probably have heard of it. Um, yeah, it's kind of a question. Uh, maybe I didn't uh, phrase it as well as I could yeah, have. Yeah, but I, 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 I maybe have not heard of it. All right. I think you probably have, but maybe are not aware of it. It's often okay. talked about you know, on news Consumer stories. Consumer sentiment one. survey. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's just survey. Basically, you know, hey, is, how- Is this the kind of thing they mention in the news and it's just, but the, the, like where, it, where the data comes from or where the survey comes from, you, you kind of glaze over that part, but they're talking about the, the results all the time around you. Yeah, or or that may just be shortened to consumer sentiment. So sentiment okay. is you know, gotcha. feeling, right? You know, how are people feeling? And when I saw this um, at the end of July, I was astounded. Um, it actually reached a low that we hadn't seen in the U.S. since May of 1980. And just think about that for a moment. You know, we had COVID, uh, you know, two and a half years ago, and we had a kind of a temporary low there, um, but it was nothing. Um, to the extent of the low that we had at the end of July. We had the tech bubble bursting uh, back in the early 2000s. You know, certainly people saw an incredible amount of wealth destroyed and uh, they they didn't feel as bad based on the consumer sentiment index and the survey back then. We did get close. We actually just eclipsed the prior lows of 2008 uh, so think about the financial crisis when it looked like the whole financial world was going to implode. So November 2008 was pretty bad and pretty consistent uh, with where we're at you know, as of the end of July. Uh, but the end of July of this year actually was a little bit worse. And we had a similarly low reading in uh, the middle of 2011. So while you're, you're quasi-young, at least relatively speaking, millennial, um, let's see. Let's put you on the spot here, buddy. Okay. What, what was going on in 2011? Why would people feel bad in 2011? 2011. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Well, we had just had the financial crisis, and I feel like we were starting to pull out of that, though, around 2011. I would have thought we would have had some thought we would have had some momentum there. I don't know. 2011 was uh, was kind of a good time for me. I don't know. What, what? All right. There you go. Well, yeah. so some of the things that were going on around then, and I agree with that. We were kind of coming out of right. the financial I still feel like there were some maybe terrorism concerns around that time. I mean, that's sort of always with us, but. Sure. And um, I know some of the conversations that I was typically having with clients or the news stories that you saw were concerns about a double dip recession. Hey, there's been all of this, um, you know, monetary stimulus. Oh my gosh, you know, we haven't seen this for before. What's kind of uh, inflation and issues is that going to cause? You had a European debt crisis, particularly in Greece, but other Southern uh, European countries. And there was the talk of, hey, maybe the euro is actually going to collapse. Um, and then you had our, our quote unquote leaders down in Washington uh, that actually, for the first time, um, didn't uh, increase the debt ceiling. And uh, we actually uh, nearly avoided a, a default on our debt. In fact, for U.S. credit rating, uh, S&P actually downgraded the U.S. from AAA status. I remember being in my basement and watching that story 
Uh, Brian Williams was on the news channel on NBC and was and kind of led with that. And I mean, it was just, it just oozed pessimism all the way around. So that's kind of what was correlating back in, in mid 2011. But we, we just got there. So July 2022, we haven't seen this sort of pessimism since May of 1980. If you think all the way back to 1980, now I was, I was a whopping four year old at that time, you know, just like my, uh, my Cameron is now. Um, and I certainly don't remember, but, uh, you know, I am a student of history. Uh, and, uh, Walt, let's give you a chance of redemption. What was going on back in May of 1980? Uh, let's or see. Uh, I'm going to guess general. some I sort of I won't gas, say May. a gas issue, a gas crisis of some sort. Uh, well, I, perhaps I, I can't say that that's definitively incorrect, but you know we were certainly um, perpetuated with high inflation. We had a fairly high uh, unemployment. We had stag infla- stagflation, you know, back then, and uh, which which peaked, you know, not too long after 1980. Actually, peaked in 1982. Mm. Um, but you had an entire decade where stock prices pretty much just went sideways. Uh, interest rates increased, which meant that bond returns were generally negative. So it was it was a really bad decade, at least to be an investor. I'm not saying that people had a ton of money invested back then. I think pensions were certainly more of a preponderance of people's wealth back then. But um, but nonetheless, um, we had stagnant. I, I think I was a little early. I was thinking, um, you know, what, what was going on during that time frame? Uh, a gas shortage and a flock of seagulls. That's about it. But uh, I, I think that's a little earlier, maybe mid-70s. Austin Powers reference? Well, does that, I, does that fall fall short? I am a big flock of seagulls fan, at least for the the, the <laughs> one hit wonder song. So, um, as a matter of fact, you know that hair that uh, I went as that guy. I don't know what his name is, but I tried to do that one Halloween uh, when being a ball guy it was um, quite uh, poorly executed, but a good laugh all around. <laughs> Uh, but let's get back on topic here. Yes, please, please. <laughs> so here's the thing and why I really wanted to bring this up. So it feels bad out there right now uh, for a lot of people. Stock returns bounce back, you know, fairly strongly uh, in July. Um, so that was positive. You know, August it was down and at least as we record this in mid-September, stock returns last few days have been, kind of been back up. So, you know, just because it feels bad, it doesn't mean that it's a bad time to invest in fact, it tends to be a contrarian indicator. So if I look at um, the same data set and I look at, well, hey, whenever this consumer sentiment you know, reached a low, what were returns like for the broad U.S. market over the next 12 months? And what we so set S&P 500, basically. So whenever lows are reached, the next 12 month returns are about 25%, 25%. So 12 months, 25% you know, per year. On average, and whenever highs are reached, returns are about four percent over the next twelve months. So when it feels bad, forward-looking returns are probably better. You know, it's kind of a wealth effect. You know, stock prices go down. Of course, nobody likes to see that. Um, of course, you know, it's always you know bad news sells more so than good news. But um, it's one of those things where you know, kind of the basic rule of investing is buy low and sell high. Obviously, stock prices are lower. Having come down, you know, year to date in 2022, and certainly some more than others. And I'm not saying that, you know, hey, we've reached a low or anything like that, or hey, it's all sunshine and rainbows from here. 
it's certainly plausible that things could get worse, that sentiment goes lower, that stock prices go lower. You're never going to get the timing right unless you get lucky. Um, and luck isn't really a good investment strategy to make sure that your, your wealth lasts your lifetime. But nonetheless, you know, this does hold true. So it's one of those things where we've talked about this a lot over the years in different ways. You know, Tyler was on and did an episode uh, about behavioral finance and talked about some of the shortcomings. Uh, we have uh, that our brains kind of predispose us to. You know, if you think back kind of evolutionarily, we had uh, kind of this fight or flight mechanism. And when things you know, look bad, um, it says run. And that part of our brain, that more reactive part of our brain is actually faster than a rational part of our brain. So it's just really important to be able to, you know, just process this, to think, to be educated, to come back and try to be unemotional as possible and make a good informed disciplined decision. So long story short, when it feels bad, it's probably a good time to invest. Again, you're not going to make a timing call with anything like that, but nonetheless, the evidence is, is very, um, very clear that that's the case. And part of the reason, uh, in addition to why um, this is true, isn't just because of kind of the, the faster part of our brain trying to protect us from the bear in the woods when it may just be a bear market. But it's also, uh, I think, because of another reason that our brains tend to think in a linear fashion. I mean, you think about like innovation and how things could really take a giant leap and change you know, that's that's unpredictable uh, for the most part. And we can't really pretend what that's going to do, you know, to our lives and to society and to stock returns for that matter. And if anybody uh, may want to write down what I think is a good book recommendation, I read this book a little bit more than a decade ago, and it was by uh, a Brit named Matt Ridley. And uh, in the book, The Rational Optimist, he went through several examples, you know, throughout history over hundreds of years where he illustrated how predictions by many smart, many renowned people warned of a bleak future and how these predictions were fairly common. I'll give you a couple as a highlight here. Uh, Walt, all right, let's go back to you and your timeline here, buddy. Do you remember the Y2K scare? I do remember that, yes. What was the Y2K scare? Like all the computers were just going to stop working at the stroke of midnight on 2000, and it was going to cause just mass chaos across the world, right? You got it. So, you know, we have a four-digit year, but apparently whenever computers uh, were initially programmed to just use the last two digits and kind of truncated the four-digit Year. So as we were flipping into a new millennia, um, nobody really knew what the heck was going to happen. So literally there, um, um, Matt really kind of goes through and, and shows how a lot of people were purchasing backup generators, withdrawing large sums of money from banks. You know, um, there was scares that this was going to cause, you know, infrastructure just to come pouring down in, whether it was banking or air travel or anything that was really reliant upon technology. And ultimately, um, you know, we're still here. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'd, I was okay when it turned, um, you know, one, two, 2000, everything went okay for me. Not yep. that I had much back then, but, um, but nonetheless, I was okay. And it seems like most of the world was too. And one other example I'll give, uh, from the book was in the 1960s, there's a Stanford University professor, uh, Paul, Ehrlich, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but uh, he wrote a best-selling book. It was called The Population Bomb. And basically, he went through some math, not a 
you got to be a pretty smart guy to be a professor at Stanford University. But basically, he showed that because of the population growth, we were going to have a mass starvation that was going to come in the 70s and the 80s. And um, so this is kind of a good example uh, where you have this sort of like linear thinking and just can look at a certain trend, project it out, and maybe it doesn't happen. Um, Bill Gates wrote uh, a good review of the book. It was published in the Wall Street Journal. And one of the things that he said in the review was, pessimism is so often wrong because people assume a world where there is no change or innovation. They simply extract from what is going on today, failing to recognize the new developments and insights that might alter current trends. Said another way, <laughs> they can't predict the future. But um, if you look backwards through history, we have so much evidence of innovation, of things continually getting better, but we tend to use these linear projections. We look at what the problems are today and we just project them forward and kind of see a perpetual downward spiral. So it's I, you know it's it's one of those things I, I i think the rational optimist the title that matt ridley had is perfect um i wrote an article on this you know years ago around that 2011 time when people were feeling really bad when we had the debt ceiling issue and so on and so forth and just try to put things in perspective so being rationally optimistic i think makes a lot of sense if you think about this as it comes more to, or to investing in economics and how markets work, um, you may have heard the phrase creative destruction, Walt. Creative destruction, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I won't put you on the spot for this one. But... Yeah, don't, don't ask me who said that. <laughs> so uh, this was from uh, Joseph Schumpeter, uh, who was an Austrian economist. Economist, excuse me. Oh, yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. And uh, he was also a Harvard professor. So this is kind of like uh, early, mid-1900s. But, you know, he's talking about uh, capitalism and how markets work. And, you know, it's, it's just that competitive force where, you know, you're always taking resources and trying to take them to a higher and better use and help solve problems and, and create wealth in, in aggregate. Now, it is creative destruction. So there's one side that maybe is being destructed and another that's being constructed. And if you're on kind of the losing side of that, most assuredly, it doesn't feel well. But collectively, uh, as an economy, we're better off through that process. It's maybe a kind of a side issue about how society deals with that, maybe to provide some safety nets or what have you. But collectively, overall, we're unequivocally, we're better off from that. And this sort of invisible hand, uh, this competition, it just continues to drive innovation. Um, another way we can think about this is, uh, so you just look at, you know, kind of the stocks that are the largest stocks and, and see, hey, do they, do they maintain their ranking or do things change over time? So I'll, I have a list here in front of me, kind of a cheat sheet. I don't have this memorized, but um, I always found this pretty interesting and you can tell a good story with it. You know, if you go back to 1980s, some of the top stocks that were that were you know in, in the world based on you know how big they were based on their market capitalization, IBM, AT&T, Exxon, a whole bunch of different energy companies in addition to Exxon as well. Even Eastman Kodak is on that list. Walt, uh, again, Kodak. maybe before your time, but no, I'm I remember sure you've Kodak. heard. Yeah. yeah? I used to love the Polaroid uh, and where you just get the pictures right after you press the button and kind of shake the it around a little bit. The Polaroids were the best, yeah. Tra tra it. Trading, trading today at about $5 or so. 
<laughs> well, and, and, and really a, a truly a different company, um, and yeah. a shadow of itself at best. Um, but if you, you go down that list, certainly some of those companies are still around. If I went down the whole top 10 list, some of those companies aren't around anymore. Um, but looking at the list today, none of those co companies are in the top 10. If I go and say, okay, let me look at the year 2000. Um, here we see Microsoft coming up and showing on the list for the first time. Uh, General Electric is actually showing up on the list. They had been on it in 1980, kind of fell off, came back in 2000. Cisco shows up, but then they're going to fall off, kind of looking at the next you know, decade, 10 years hence. Intel is another one. Lucent Technologies, another kind of high flyer from the tech bubble days. And then you look today and uh, you see companies, of course, like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. Now, no doubt when I see those companies today, in people's minds, they're probably thinking, well, like, no way or, are they not going to be around? And I mean, you're already seeing that to a certain extent with Facebook taking a huge decline in stock price this year, you know, Netflix, um, similarly. Um, Tesla's also on this list. We'll see what happens there. But inevitably, you know, at least give it enough time, some of these companies are going to fall, not only fall off that list, but they may go away. I know that may sound very difficult to believe, but um, Jeff Bezos himself has said the same when he's thinking about just how companies, you know, kind of live, breathe, evolve, survive, and eventually die. It's just mm. that invisible hand that continually drives competition. And that invisible hand is the same that drives innovation and it makes it very difficult for our minds to really grasp that. So I, I think your mention of like the Netflix is a great example because well, originally it was the block, you know, Blockbuster. Ah, nothing could ever top Blockbuster. Nothing can ever beat that experience of going to the store, walking through, picking up that popcorn, looking at all the different movie covers. I mean, it was just such a fun thing to do as a kid. But even and I think even my parents enjoyed taking taking me. It was just a fun family thing to go do and get that excitement up for what movie you were going to watch that night. And it's very difficult to predict that demise. And then Redbox comes along, and you're like. Oh my gosh, while I'm at the grocery store or the gas station or pretty much anywhere, I can just bloop, pop a movie right out. I can return <laughs> it very easily. There's no hours. It's 24-7. This is fantastic. Nothing will ever beat this. And then Netflix comes along and like, nothing's going to ever beat this. <laughs> so, And things keep beating it. But for some reason, we don't seem to, to learn those lessons, do we? No, we don't. And, you know, I'd say contrary to Bill Gates, you know, I, if there's a brain that's out there, he probably has one that can predict some of this innovation, but most of us can't. Um, but I would just urge everybody just to think and look backwards rather than look forward. Don't look at the present issues that we have today and just, you know, kind of project them forward into a perpetual downward spiral and, you know, and in some negative endpoint. Rather look back and look at the growth that we've had, whether it's over the last 10 or 20 or 100 years, and how more likely than not, your lives have gotten better. Can never say that everybody's lives are going to be like my kids may not do better than my wife and I, you know, financially, as long as they're happy and healthy and, um, and kind of doing well as, as they determine it, you know, that's a success as far as I'm concerned. But it's not just about, you know, money or anything, but generally speaking, our quality of life, our, our standard of living 
has increased. Um, sure, there's all kinds of you know people out there that want to take statistics and twist them or report them incorrectly and try to support some political angle that they're propositioning. But you know that's not what I'm talking about here at all. Uh, I'm really talking about the continual innovation that we've had through history and how that has positively impacted our collective well-being, and it will continue to do so because we have no evidence to the contrary that it won't. So it's you can't predict the future. When you can't predict the future. Your, your mind maybe goes to a place of fear. Um, maybe that's maybe that's normal. Maybe that's baked into our survival, and that's why we kind of ran away from the bear in the woods. But nonetheless, if you just take a look with your rational brain, look back through history, and see how innovation has always propelled us to be better and to grow, I think you can take solace in that. Two things I'll say in closing. So I think REM had it right. It is the end of the world as we know it. And I think we should feel fine because that creative destruction is is going to create something better collectively over time. So kudos to REM for having well thought out lyrics. Now, quick disclaimer: when I listen to music, um, I literally uh, just listen to the music and not so much the lyrics. But this this lyric, it's like the first one. So I, in the song, so the rest of the lyrics could say something completely different. <laughs> And I completely disclaim any responsibility for having some sort of conflicted re analogy here. My wife makes fun of me all the time. Um, I, I take I take music lyrics in my own direction too. Like someone may say, "Oh, you know that this song means blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay," but it doesn't mean that to me. So I'm just going to keep going along with what I think it means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so real quick. So when the, we, uh, my wife and I first started dating, uh, there's um, an '80s song uh, from a band called Till Tuesday, and its voices carry. And I, I love the song. I told my wife, and she's like, "Did you ever listen to the lyrics? Like, do you know this song is about domestic violence?" I'm like. Whoa! Whoa! What? <laughs> I had no idea about that. <laughs> and then you pause for a second and go, "Huh? Well, huh. I'm going to still enjoy it, but uh, it'll just it'll just mean something different to me." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sorry for freaking you out, but thank you for still marrying me. Um, oh man. But uh, yeah, yeah. Let's pull me back on on topic here. But um, here's here's the final point that I'll make. This innovation um, again. Maybe if you're Bill Gates, you can predict this. Um, I sure as heck can, and I don't think most people can. So what do you do when it comes to investing? Well, in the short run, of course, anybody you know that needs money, you know, this week, next month, in the next year, I mean, that's going to be in in cash or some short term high quality asset. You know, we're really talking about here is kind of being long term optimistic and 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 really participating in the growth of the equity markets. And because you can't predict the innovation and because these big companies don't stay on that big company list perpetually, there is that creative destruction, that ebb and flow, you need to diversify. Um, so, you know, things feel bad right now. Certainly history has showed whenever things feel bad and we get to these lows that, you know, the forward looking returns look better, but there's nothing precluding us from going lower here. So again, I'm not saying that, you know, it's all sunshine and rainbows, but nonetheless, things have gotten lower in price. Things are more pessimistic today. If we look out over a longer time frame, be it five or 10 years from today, you know, compared to where we were just say nine months ago coming into the beginning of the year, we can't expect higher future returns looking forward, but we need to diversify because we can't predict the winners and the losers and the innovation that's going to happen in between.
So it's the end of the world as we know it, and it also sounds like we've been here before, and uh, we can maybe take a little bit of solace in that as well. A great breakdown, and uh, well done on your your light sleep, uh, you know, night, and uh, being able to bring that rational optimism to us today. You you persevered, Kevin. So well done, my Thank friend. Thank you. All. Yeah. Uh, if you have questions about something you heard on today's episode, if you like the style of planning that we talk about here on Retire Smarter and that the team at True Wealth Design employs uh, with their clients uh, that they work with on a daily basis to improve their financial lives and their retirement preparation, and you want to learn a little bit more about what it's like to work with the team, want to see if you're a good fit, you can certainly schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team. Do that by going to True truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule that time to visit. That's truewealthdesign.com. Or you can call 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-TWD-PLAN. We're going to link to all of that in the description of today's show so you can find it easily as well. I'm also going to link to that uh, book that uh, Kevin mentioned in the show notes as well, uh, The Rational Optimist. So you can check that out there. I'll put an Amazon link so you can go and uh, check that book out if you want to get a copy of it and read up a little bit more after Kevin's mention today. Kevin, really appreciate your help and the guidance as always here on the show. Get some rest and quit feeding the dogs table scraps, man. <laughs> yeah, I think I learned my lesson and until I don't again. <laughs> but listen, listen to your wife and, 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 and more than just table scraps. So she, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Amen to that, Walt. All right, man. Have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Come back and join us for the next episode, folks, right back here on Retire Smarter. Until then, take care. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.